0: Well, we're drawing our study together in our, in our um, book from the Garden of Eden to the Glory of Heaven to a conclusion. We have been studying together the covenants. Um, we'll have perhaps one or maybe two more sessions and then we'll be done. Um, we've been talking more recently about the fulfillment of the new covenant when our faith is turned to sight and so we have said that the story of redemption is one of Jesus defeating and destroying the works of Satan, which he wrought in the Garden of Eden. And so Jesus defeated Satan at the cross and sealed his doom in the accomplishment of the new covenant. One of the things the new covenant accomplished, in fact, the central thing that the new covenant accomplished, is a reversal of the effects of the works of satan in the garden of eden and so uh, satan caused the fall jesus is reversing the fall and we saw that reversal begin to take place uh, in his earthly ministry when he began to reverse the effects of the curse um, you know he stilled the storm Uh, he fed the five thousand he healed people's diseases He raised the dead, he cast out demons, and all of those things were indications of and promises of and foreshadowings of that every one of those works is going to be done universally and completely um, when he he comes the second time. And so we see that uh, because Satan was defeated at the cross uh, and his doom is sealed in the new covenant and in its fulfillment and accomplishment, That he uh, has but a short time left. He is enraged at the church, the people of God. And so he takes out his hatred of Christ on Christ's people. And as a result, we are living now during a time of satanic uh, persecution. And um, it's something that is normal and natural and to be expected uh, until Jesus fully implements His victory over the devil by uh, taking him and casting him in the lake of fire where the smoke of his torment will ascend up uh, forever and ever. And so we read in Matthew uh, chapter five that this persecution that God is allowing to occur to the church during this time is not meant for her harm. Uh, but only for her blessing. Uh, People ask the question, well, if Jesus defeated Satan at the cross, and he did, then why is he allowing Satan to ravage the church until the second coming? And the answer is, is that number one, Jesus has Satan on a leash. He's bound. Uh, He's not able to deceive the nations uh, like he did prior to the time of the cross when The gospel was confined exclusively to Palestine and the whole rest of the world was in darkness. He bound Satan and now the gospel has gone into all the world. And um, as a result of this binding of Satan, um, the nations are not able to mount any kind of coordinated um, effort to either attack or destroy Christians. Now, to be sure, there are individual nations and places in nations where persecution is very severe uh, but it's certainly not worldwide and certainly the gospel is going forth worldwide uh, to the degree that that God wills without any hindrance uh, from Satan so Satan as a defeated enemy continues to rage against the church and persecute it but it only results in the blessing of God's people in Matthew 5 verses 10 to 12 Jesus says blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are you and men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you so as Satan attacks us uh, he only accomplishes our blessing and God's will just like when he attacked Jesus and had him crucified on the cross He thought he was doing something great for himself. And in fact, he only sealed his own doom and ensured the blessing of the people of God. And he's so stupid that he keeps doing the same thing today. Uh, As he attacks the people of God uh, through human instruments that he inspires and inflames, um, all he's doing is increasing their reward, increasing the glory of God, and increasing the spread of the gospel. And so uh, there's going to come a day, of course, when Satan will be utterly defeated, uh, entirely uh, destroyed in terms of being able to have any impact or influence on people forever. And that will be at the second coming of Jesus. And that is when the wicked will be punished, the righteous will be vindicated and rewarded. And of course, faith will be turned to sight. Now, previously, we 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 concluded with a study of Second Thessalonians chapter one verses seven to nine, in which we talked about how the Lord Jesus is going to come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and on them that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and they shall um, uh, suffer; uh, they they shall shall be destroyed from the presence of the Lord forever. Uh, when he returns to be glorified in his saints. So we've been talking then about uh, when, when faith is turned to sight, when the new covenant is finally and fully implemented at the second coming of Christ and the blessings and benefits that will flow out of that. So let's turn please to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we're just going to give a survey of what God um, is doing on behalf of his people in the fulfillment of the new covenant. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, he says to the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1 6, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to those that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. So the first thing that's going to happen in the fulfillment of the new covenant is that justice is going to be brought to pass. The wicked are going to get what they've got coming to them, which up to this point in time, they have not received. And one of the great conundrums and questions uh, that people have is, if there's a just God, why is there so much injustice in the world? And the answer is, is because justice hasn't been executed yet, but it will be. And when he returns, that's when... Um justice will be accomplished, the wicked will be punished, the righteous will be vindicated and rewarded. Then the second thing that's going to happen is that not only will, there, will, will justice be established and the wicked be punished and the righteous vindicated, but secondly, that's when we're going to get our resurrected bodies. One of the things that's promised in the new covenant is that death will be swallowed up in victory. Well, as long as the graveyards are full, that, that hasn't yet been achieved, in terms of its full application, has it? Okay, lots of dead people, Christians still in the grave. Well, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, uh, in verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel and the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. So we see that when Jesus comes, that is when death will fully be swallowed up in victory. Now the victory is secured, but it's not yet applied. And it's going to be applied. Faith is going to be turned. Right now, we believe we're going to meet with our loved ones. We believe that our bodies are going to be raised in the grave. We haven't seen it yet. Okay? That is when we will see it happen. Now, turn to uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, <clears throat> beginning at verse 50, <clears throat> First Corinthians fifteen fifty describing the same event in a little more detail as we just read in First Thessalonians four. First Corinthians fifteen fifty. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God; neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. You can't enter heaven in the body you got now. It won't work. Uh, that would be like trying to live underwater with the body you got now. It's just not suited to that environment. Okay. Verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all die, sleep, but we shall all be transformed, changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, same trump as in 1 Thessalonians 4, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Is death swallowed up in victory right now? It isn't. When is it going to happen? At the resurrection. Now that victory is secured and it's certain, but it's not yet realized. And it will be realized at the resurrection. So verse 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have the victory, uh, but it has yet to be applied, and we'll see it applied at uh, the second coming of Christ. So what are we seeing now in the fulfillment of the new covenant? Okay, justice is going to be achieved. Victory over death is going to be accomplished. Okay, the third thing that's going to happen is that um, creation is going to be redeemed and renewed. And uh, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 3, Revelation 21, 1 to 3, it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea, that is, no more mass of wicked Gentiles spewing out mire and filth. Verse 2, and I, John, saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the dwelling place or the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and shall be their God. So, this earth and this universe, which are both uh, badly degraded and ruined, by the fall, are going to be restored and renewed. Um, right now, uh, the creation groans. We have earthquakes, we have tornadoes, we have hurricanes, we have fires, we have floods, we have volcanoes. Uh, we have all these natural disasters. We've got diseases, we've got bacteria, we've got viruses. Um, this, this this terrain that we have here is all eroded and ruined by the fall. I mean, by the flood, pardon me. Um, we live on a ruined earth. Um, and uh, that has come not only under the effects of the fall, but also under the effects of the flood. And um, same way with, um, with the uh, larger universe as well. And so what he's going to do is he's going to renew and restore uh, all of that. Turn to 2 Peter 3, uh, verse 10. 2 Peter 3, verse 10. Once again, speaking of the second coming of Christ, all this is going to happen at the same time. All you have is the second coming. You have the new heavens and the new earth, and you have the eternal state. You have the final judgment. You have the eternal state. You have the resurrection. You have the eternal state. There is no thousand-year millennium Okay, after the second coming. Okay, the rapture, the second coming, the final judgment, the new heavens and the new earth, um, the resurrection, all that occurs on the day of the Lord. Okay, Um, as far as the thousand year millennium that Revelation 20 talks about, we're in that right now. Okay, we're experiencing that right now. Um, Anyway, what we have in Second Peter 3, verses 10 to 13, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are there, shall be burned up. That's what's going to happen to the fallen world. Seeing these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy manner of life and godliness? Here it is, looking forward looking for and hastening unto the coming day of God, wherein the heaven being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Now here it is. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwells righteousness. So, we're going to get a new heaven, and we're going to get a new earth. Now, when is this going to happen? Romans chapter 8. Romans, the 8th chapter. And verse uh, 19. <clears throat> Romans 8.19 um, For the earnest expectation of the creation waits for the manifestations of the sons of God. Now when are the sons of God going to be manifest? When are they going to become apparent to everybody? How are we going to know who the real Christians are and who aren't? Well, on the last day when Jesus separates the sheep from the goats. Okay, That's when the sons of God will be made Manifest. All right. <clears throat> uh, verse 20, for the creation was made subject to vanity, that is to fallenness, uh, a loss of its, of its original purpose and design, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope because the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And so just like the children of God are going to be delivered from corruption, the creation is going to be delivered from corruption as well. Verse 22, we know the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And that groaning and that travailing is all the natural disasters that I spoke of previously and all the diseases and the thorns and the thistles and and the ground resisting the farmer's efforts and all of those things, okay? So that's the groaning. Uh, Verse 23, and not only the creation, but ourselves also, uh, which have the first fruit of the spirit, we groan within ourselves waiting for the adoption, that is the redemption of our body. So when our body's redeemed, the, the natural creation's gonna be redeemed as well And this is all part of the land that was promised to Abraham, right? Abraham was promised the land, the seed and the blessing. Remember? Okay. So the land uh, under the old covenant was Palestine. Uh, The seed was Isaac. And of course, the blessing was um, God's providential care over them and the provision to them of the scriptures and the prophets and, and material blessings. Of course, under the new covenant, uh, the land is the new heavens and the new earth. The seed is Jesus Christ and his descendants, namely us, who are born of him. And of course, the blessing is the blessing of salvation and redemption. So we're going to see and experience all of those things um, at the second coming of Jesus Christ in their full application. Then we're going to have deliverance from sin and the curse. So the wicked are going to be punished. Our bodies are going to be resurrected. We're going to get a new heavens and a new earth. And then fourthly, we're going to be delivered from sin and the curse. That will be complete. Revelation 21. Revelation 21 uh, verses 4 and 5. Revelation 21.4. <clears throat> and God shall wipe all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. And he that sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. So what we have in verse four is a description of the effects of the curse. And what we have declared in verse four and five is that those things are going to be removed and reversed. Now we saw Jesus already defeating death and sorrow and crying and pain and those kinds of things in his ministry on the earth. And it was just a declaration that this is a foreshadowing. This is a promise. This is the earnest of the full uh, provision that's going to be given to us in the day when, when, when Christ returns. Okay. So we're going to have deliverance from sin and from the curse. Um, 1 John 3, John 3, verses 1 and 2. 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, but it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So what we have promised in 1 John 3 verses 1 and 2 is personal sinlessness. Okay, we're going to be like him. And even though we're not there yet, that's where we're going to go. And what we have promised to us in Revelation 21 verses 4 and 5 is the removal of the effects of sin. So sin's going to be removed and the effects of sin, namely sorrow and crying and death and pain, are also going to be removed because he's going to make all things new. And when God makes stuff, it doesn't have any sin mixed in with it. It doesn't have any of the of effects of sin mixed in with it. Just like when he made the first Eden, um, it was all very good. And when he makes the second Eden, namely the new heavens and the new earth, it's also all going to be very good and there will be no more... Uh, there will be no death or pain or sorrow or crying in it because those things are the effects of sin. Nobody's going to be sinful there ever, so those things will never reappear. The um, <clears throat> final thing that's going to occur is not only will the wicked be punished, not only will our bodies be resurrected, not only will we have the new heavens and new earth, not only will we have deliverance from sin and the curse. Uh, in, in completely, complete deliverance from the sin and the curse. Finally, worship and fellowship and service will occupy us forever. Now look at Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. Uh, we were created to worship and to fellowship and to serve. And that's where we find our greatest satisfaction and fulfillment. Okay? Our greatest satisfaction and fulfillment isn't found in the abundance of things we possess. It's not found in the recreational pleasures that we enjoy. Now, those things are nice and, and they're good, but those things are not what our life consists of. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses, whether it's pleasures or whether it's particular items. Uh, The abundance of our life consists in worship and fellowship and service to God. And you know, as a believer, as well as I do, that it's when you're doing those things that you feel the most fulfilled, you feel the most um, satisfied, you're the happiest, you feel the most worthwhile, and, and, and that your life matters, and that you have purpose and meaning. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if heaven were this perfect hunting preserve where every day you could go out and shoot a 400 class bull elk, uh, that wouldn't satisfy you, you know, first two or three days, it might be great. But after that, it'd be like, this is boring. And the only thing that's not going to be boring is the worship and service and praise of God. And, uh, so revelation seven verse nine, here's a picture of heaven. This is what it's going to be like people. Verse 9, And after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And One of the elders answered saying to me, what are these that are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said to him, sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. They're not out fishing. They're not out scuba diving. They're not out hunting. They're before God. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat for the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe all tears away from their eyes. Now what is that? But worship, fellowship, and service. Okay? That's what we're going to be doing. And it's all going to be focused around Jesus Christ. Him, fellowshipping with us and us fellowshipping with him and worshiping him and serving him. Uh, Turn to Revelation 22. In Revelation 22, beginning at verse 3, describing heaven, it says, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. Now notice, and his servants shall serve him and they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads and there shall be no night there. They shall have no need of the candle, neither the light of the sun for the Lord God giveth them light and they shall reign forever and ever. So these passages give us an inkling about what we're going to be doing in heaven. We're going to be sitting on a harp on a cloud somewhere, thrumming tunes to ourself. Okay. And we're not going to be out at blue ribbon trout streams catching lunker brown trout on dry flies. Okay. We're going to be with Jesus. We're going to be serving Jesus, worshiping Jesus, fellowshipping with Jesus and with each other. And um, he says, says, we're going to reign forever and ever. Uh, the idea of, of administration and rule and activity, it's all there. Now, when you think about what Adam and Eve did before the fall, okay, they had stuff to do, um, they were given the procreation mandate, which we're not going to do. Um, but they also had work to do. Uh, they had to till and keep the garden. They also had worship to engage in uh, of God. Uh, they, the first thing God did, he created Adam on the sixth day. And on the seventh day, he sanctified the Sabbath. And that was the day they were to give to the worship of God. And um, so anyway, um, that's what... Uh, the new covenant has secured for us is a perfect country, a perfect government, a perfect citizenry, a perfect King, perfect fellowship, a perfect activity in terms of, of soul satisfying worship and communion with God and service to God. And then we will finally uh, end all of our restlessness and all of our discontent and all of our dissatisfaction and all of our, trouble of heart and mind over uh, the grinding um, difficulties of life and the resistance to being what we really want to be as persons that will all cease and we'll have perfect satisfaction and so these are all blessings of the new covenant that will come to sight in that day when Jesus returns so that's why here and now, people were pilgrims and strangers, and this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. If heaven weren't my home, oh Lord, what would I do? You know the old hymn, right? And um, so, anyway, uh, what does it say? The the, the heavens beckon me, uh, the angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. It's been a long time since I sang that song. Unfortunately, it's not in our hymnal. Um, but yeah, that's it. We're, we're looking forward to our inheritance. And that's why when we lose stuff here on this earth, uh, it, it never was our inheritance anyway. Um, so we need to lay up treasure in heaven. And we need to keep our, our, our affections set on things above and on things ahead. And uh, let that be the comfort to us in the midst of our difficulties now. All right, well, our time is gone. We have wonderful things to look forward to. We should be the happiest, most optimistic people about the future in the world. And that's why Paul says, what? For me to die is gain, right? He says, for me to live is Christ. You know why to die is gain? Because to die is more Christ. You got some Christ now. To die is a whole bunch more Christ. And that's why it's gain. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful um, future that jesus has purchased for us lord thank you that the wicked will be punished thank you father that the righteous will be vindicated and rewarded thank you that our bodies will be resurrected thank you that we will have a new heavens and a new earth thank you that we will be delivered from sin and the curse thank you that we will finally be able to worship and fellowship and serve as we would want to do, but the boat anchor of the flesh and the dullness of our spirits prohibit now. Father, we just pray that you would hasten the day when we would be with you and we would experience all these things. Uh, Father, until then, help us to keep them as a bright hope before us so that, Father, we might be encouraged even in the midst of the greatest discouragements that this life has to offer. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.